Lottie, say pop psychology. Pop psychology. Say pop psychology. Pop psychology. Good job. Right, right. Anyway, we both have mustaches now. Yeah. This podcast sponsored by mustaches. Mustaches. You want to start? Give us what's our intro. Today's subject. uh, Today's subject is addicted to money and. Sex and power. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Um, what do you think about our subject? Yeah, I wanna I wanna write something out. Yeah. But let let's here's the intro for, for the for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um oh hey everybody. Oh hey there. Welcome to Pop Psychology. Um a podcast about psychology and pop culture. We take our psychology, we mix it with the movies we're watching and the books we're reading, we put it on a sandwich and we eat it and then we give part of the sandwich to you guys. And I thought you were going to say, and when we poop it into your ears. Nope. Because <laughs> that's a weird <laughs> metaphor. Maybe we poop it out and then it grows in and then we use that as fertilizer to grow a beautiful plant. And give you the plant into yeah. your ears. Yeah. yeah. Send the plant out onto the internet for everyone to gaze upon. Yeah. Um, my name is Jared Parker. And I'm Scott Parker. And we're your uh, valiant hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, how's it going? I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, it's going uh, It's going well. Yeah, it's going well. Let's talk about well. Um, <laughs> let's see. My, my business is going well. What's your business? I have a private practice. A private practice of what? A uh, private practice of psychotherapy. Mm. Yeah. And I'm getting more clients, and I'm starting to get money from insurance companies, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Money. Yeah. That's cool. And because I, ha- because I haven't uh, gotten insurance, like, gotten claims paid for a while, it's, like, a lot of money coming in. Yeah, cool. Which is cool. Which is probably, you can use that to pay off all the debts that you have. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of going on a trip. Yeah, cool. Yeah, trip. Yeah, trips are fun. Um, so I'm teaching a Psych 111 class, and I have to, which at my university is intro to psychological science. So like at other schools, it'd be Psych 101. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, and uh, I'm teaching that later today. Oh yeah, how do you feel about that? It feels pretty good. Mm-hmm. I I actually have been kind of testing out material for the podcast in class mm-hmm. without knowing it. Um, one of the next ones, one of the next episodes I want to do is I want to do the Dawn Wall, mm-hmm. which did you watch that? Oh yeah. Um, cause oh, we had, that's perfect. I taught a class on motivation Yeah, and I had them watch, had the, had the class watch, um, uh, either the Dawn Wall or Free Solo. Oh, that's Just perfect. Just kind of as like, um, opportunities to like see the stuff about motivation in action yeah you know yeah and um someone asked the question they submit questions like besides like fame and fortune like why would 
Tommy Caldwell and um, well, the other, the other guy's name is Kevin something. Anyway, no, Alex, Alex. No, no, no. But I'm uh, talking about the Don Wall because this oh, person okay. watched the Don Wall. Oh, sure. Why? Why would they? Cl- why would they feel like they have to climb that wall? You know. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and I was like, damn, that's a good question. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Um. So anyway, I think we should we should definitely talk about it. Oh yeah. Besides fame and recognition. Right. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> anyway. So yeah, I'm I'm doing that later today. So after we're finished recording, I have to <sighs> read a bunch of stuff about memory, uh-huh. which is fine. Uh huh. Yeah. It's like the textbooks, I'm surprised at how much of the textbooks are like anatomy and biology. Uh-huh. I'm like, where's the psychology? Yeah, yeah. You know, anyway. <clears throat> so who are we talking about today, Scott? We're talking about, our subject today is one Tony Stark. Anthony Q. Stark. Yes. I just, I don't know if his name's Anthony and his middle name probably isn't Q. Yeah. Doesn't have a Q, but. Yeah, this is kind of a in memoriam mm. episode. You know? Oh, uh, why? Well, because he... Spoiler alert. Bobby Downs died? No. Tony Stark died. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. So, spoiler alert. Yeah. Oh, I guess we already said it. Spoiler yeah. alert for Endgame. Oh, man. Yeah, it's totally like the end of an era. Yeah, gone too soon. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Did you see Spider-Man? Um, oh, man. Far From Home? No, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, cool. Yeah. You should see it. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. It's like a big a big theme of it is like uh Peter Parker like mourning the the death oh. of Iron Man and trying to figure out like how he's gonna cuz everyone's like looking to him, mm-hmm. you know, it's like are you the new Iron Man? Yeah. Are you taking Iron Man's place, you know? And he's like, "Am I?" He has to think about it. Oh, wow. He's like haunted by yeah. The idea that he might have to be the next Iron Man and can he fill those robotic shoes? Mm-hmm. Those robotic um, booster shoes mm-hmm. have ro- boosters in them. Yeah. You know? Man, it makes me feel sad. How did this superhero franchise just like capture my heart? Dude. I was just watching this movie, Iron Man 1, and it's just well done. We're talking, I mean, we're just talking about Iron Man 1. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the text of of the episode today. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's so good. It's good. Yeah, I, I mean, forgot about that. I mean, old Rob down June <coughs> can't go wrong, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of I I've, I've heard critics say that like that's why that's one of the reasons I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe works so well is because uh, Robert Downey Jr just acts the hell out of, yeah. you know, all the Iron Man stuff, yeah. you know. Um Okay, so did you you watched Iron Man one? Yeah, or part of it, yeah. most of it. Yeah. I mean, you've seen it before. Yeah, I've seen it before, mm. and I watched I watched most of it mm-hmm. for this one. I, there was just a couple parts I wanted to refresh my memory on. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and um, why are we? What's what's so curious about? What do we want to talk about? I already told you what we want to talk about, right? <clears throat> Yeah, well, he undergoes a big change. I mean, this is his origin story, but um, he, I feel like, so every origin story involves like a a big change, but I feel like his big change is uh, spiritual, character, characterological, if that's a word, Mm -hmm. you know, um, 
world a worldview change a personality change yeah you know yeah and those are all things that i think are kind of psychological in a cool way yeah and i found some sources that kind of talk about that type of thing that i want to talk about mm-hmm. um <clears throat> but let's start by just describing what describing like what happens mm-hmm. to him i mean i'm not not to like redo not to retell the story but just to kind of give the psychological like facts, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if um, like if you were writing up a case history, yeah, a case report of um, of Tony Stark for a, you know, for a presentation at some conference or like maybe a journal. Sure. What would you What would you say? So like he, um, at the beginning he is like, um, pretty functional. Like, I would say uh, highly functional. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he's living this life that's very successful and he seems well-adjusted. He's a genius. He's the CEO of a company mm-hmm. that's doing really well. Yeah. He's the... he He's in... His company creates um, really powerful and innovative weapons mm-hmm. that he sells to the government and things like that. How would you characterize his values and the aims and purposes of his life? Um, to um, make money and get women. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has... And be famous. And be famous. And he... But... The values that he says he lives by is um, he wants to um, keep peace. He wants to hold the world together, you know, um, by making, uh, as he put it, uh, a bigger stick than the other guy. Right. Everything. But there's a sense that he maybe doesn't actually believe that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, That's kind of a cynical justification. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For making weapons, um, yeah, which which I think you can kind of see by his aloofness from what's from what's being done with his weapons. Uh huh. Like right. his weapons are being like taken and used by terrorist groups and all this stuff, and he's totally unaware. He he's just totally unaware. Yeah, he just puts the weapon. He just sells the weapons, and it's kind of like, well, it's not my problem anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. Which su- yeah suggests that. He could be kind of in denial about what's really going on. Right. Or he just doesn't care. Yeah. Because it's like after... Yeah, yeah. So, after... So, what happens? What happens to him? The the, um, means of his success, these weapons, turn on him. (gasps) Yeah, that's good. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. He gets kidnapped by some terrorist group, locked in a cave for a couple months... He escapes, and when he comes back to civilization, he's a different man. Yeah. Is that a good way of putting it? Yeah, well, and the terrorists use his weapons against him and against the soldiers that he's with when he's going to inspect his something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's on a sales call to the military to sell his weapons, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and he gets kidnapped, locked in a cave for a couple months, Mm -hmm. breaks out. Through mm-hmm. his geniusness, yeah, and um, and and then when he comes back to civilization, he 
has he has vastly different values mm-hmm. and aims and purposes in life. Yeah. Is that a good way of saying it? Yeah, I would say so. He wants to make a difference. He cares about his legacy. Mm-hmm. He cares about what other people kind of think of him to a certain extent. Like he, like he cares all of a sudden before he doesn't care about, you know, um, being viewed, viewed as a warmonger or whatever. Yeah. He doesn't really care about if that's his legacy, mm-hmm. and, but all of a sudden the fact that he is associated with these weapons that, that people are using for, to, for terror, mm-hmm. um, bothers him quite a bit. Yeah. I think he's not as promiscuous uh-huh. anymore. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't care about his reputation anymore. Right. He, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't care about his reputation anymore. Um, he starts to develop relationships that before were kind of superficial, mm-hmm. like Pepper Potts. Yeah. Um, he, his uh, secretary, mm-hmm. all of a sudden he views her in a different light he Mm -hmm. starts to kind of pay attention to her and recognize how remarkable she is yeah they start to strike up a romance you could say Uh yeah um and yeah Mm -hmm. interesting yeah so um so that's that's what happens in the film how does that relate to psychology well i think it demonstrates the phenomenon of conversion where there's a a characterological change that happens um that happens and i and i would say there's a bit of mystery as to or there's a bit of i would say grace as uh, you know um in in its development um meaning it's not that he sits down and writes out his life philosophy mm-hmm. and goes to therapy and, you know, analyzes how, you know... Here, reach behind you and flip off that light switch. Oh, yeah. I just feel like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, nice. More new mood lighting. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's not something that's, like, um, uh, led by his conscious mind. Right. It's more experiential. It's something that spiritual. almost something that happens to him rather mm-hmm. than something that he does. Yeah. You know? Something that overtakes him, something that wells up inside of him. Yeah, and it's the kind of characterological change and change of values and worldview and outset that um you couldn't really backwards engineer Right. And just like induce it. Like there's no like system or treatment necessarily that could induce that. Right. That's why I say it's as if there's kind of grace. Mm. And so that's that makes it sound spiritual. Um, but but grace, I think there's overlap between spiritual and psychological. But, but describing grace from a psychological perspective mm-hmm. is not commenting on... The source. It's not coming in the source. So if, if, if you want to describe, this is a really William James approach. Yeah. And William James is a big source for me when I mm-hmm. talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah. But William James just says, we don't have to buy into the supernatural explanations people give to these experiences in order to describe mm-hmm. them and try and investigate them psychologically and describe their psychological effects. Yeah. We don't have to reject their explanation either. We can just set it aside. We can just say, listen, whether there's anything supernatural going on or not, let's just describe the phenomena. And the phenomena is 
that it's some it, it's some kind of influx of energy it's some some kind of transformation that wells up from some from inside of you mm-hmm. it's some reorientation of your life and goals and and perspectives that you're not that just seems to overtake you you know that right. kind of stuff yeah which you can understand how religiously inclined folks would would could interpret that as you know the the influence of the holy spirit or mm-hmm. you know and enlightenment you know yeah like getting in touch with enlightenment or getting in line with the Tao or i don't mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. i don't know all the language you know yeah well um I don't think Tony Stark himself would describe it through a spiritual lens, mm. but um, there is a uh, savior figure that I I think is the main, probably the main uh, catalyst for his conversion. Mm. Yeah, which is his, that guy um, Yanesh or whatever. It, I think his name was Yusuf. Yusuf? Oh, yeah. Let's look it up. Hold yeah, on. Let's look it up. Pause. Y- I'm not good at whistling. Yinsen. Yinsen. Okay. Y-E-N-S-E-N. Yeah. <clears throat> so when he is um, in the possession of the terrorists... This guy, Yinsen, uh, who's also uh, a captive, yeah, <clears throat> he saves his life, yeah, by um, removing shrapnel from him, shrapnel, shrapnel from uh, from Tony Stark. And there's some shrapnel that um, he can't get, and it's it's um, going towards his heart, right. And so he makes a magnet uh, thing that like pulls the shrapnel, uh, keeps it from going into his heart. Right. And so in that sense, Yinesh. Yinsen. Yinsen. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, gave <laughs> Tony a new heart. Oh, damn. That's good. <laughs> I like that. And then his time with 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 Tony, he models kind of different values and you know, he yes. cares about different things, and it seems to kind of seep into Tony. Uh-huh. Yes, and then and then finally, Yinsen sacrifices himself mm-hmm. uh, for Tony. Mm-hmm. And Tony's like, get up, you're not going to die here, you're going to go and see your family. And he's like, my family's dead, and I'm going to see them now. Right. And he says, this was always the plan. Yeah, he said, oh yeah, this was always the plan. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Um, so I have like two sources, maybe three sources that I want to reference. So mm-hmm. now here comes the um so first we started by describing kind of what happened and now we're gonna try and give an interpretation of it, mm-hmm. maybe an explanation of it. Yeah. So I have I have two main sources and then I have a couple of other like connections that I that I made. Mm-hmm. So first is our good buddy Billy James, mm-hmm. William James. Yeah. Um philosopher, psychologist around the turn of the century. Um Am- a- amazing writer. Amazing writer, ghost hunter. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um uh 
yeah and uh he writes um he gives a, a series of lectures um about kind of psychological descriptions mm-hmm. of religious experiences he collects yeah. as many religious experiences as he can and he divides them into kind of themes mm. like these are the themes that come out in these experiences and then kind of talks about the major st- structures of these types of experiences yeah so that's one the second is kind of along the same lines but it's more it's a m- kind of a modern example of the same thing and so it's a guy named William R Miller do you know William R Miller Mm-mm. professor um university of New Mexico in Albuquerque. Um, him and a guy named Stephen Rolnick are the co-founders of Motivational Interviewing. Mm-hmm. Oh. Do you know about Motivational Interviewing? Yeah, yeah, of Yeah, say, say what it is, just briefly. It's when um, the client is not motivated to change mm-hmm. or at least is ambivalent. Mm-hmm. And um, you like identify the ambivalence and then help them to... Um, identify more with the side that does want to change and develop that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's good. So, um, Miller works a lot in, um, substance abuse recovery, Mm -hmm. which is maybe why he got in touch with, with trying to study the same phenomena of, um, conversion or however you want to say it. He has his own word for it, which I'll talk about. Um, because kind of like we talked about in the Grizzly Man episode, mm-hmm. um, how often uh, substance abuse recovery takes mm-hmm. the form of almost like a conversion experience. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All of a sudden, the person who's using is just done. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And they just stop. Yeah. Whereas before, they tried everything they possibly could to stop. All of a sudden, you know, they they... They hit rock bottom. Yeah. I'm putting that in scare quotes. Yeah. You know, that's some of the language people use to describe that. Mm-hmm. And they just stop. So anyway, Miller's Miller's interested in that. So there's um an article that I read from two thousand four Journal of Clinical Psychology. Um, it's called The Phenomenon of Quantum Change. Mm-hmm. So he uses the word quantum change, which mm-hmm. I can describe why he uses that. Yeah. I think it's in, I think it's a I think it's a telling kind of kind of um uh, word. As yeah. usual, I've done all the research for this episode. Yeah. Because you are busy. Lazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> um so let first let me um let me describe um some of the phrases that Miller uses to dis- let me I'm gonna give some of the phrases Miller uses to describe <laughs> to describe these experiences. Mm-hmm. Um and then, and then I actually have a quote from attributed to Carl Jung, which describes the same thing. And and tell me how well you feel like this fits, um, Tony Stark. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the course of a few pivotal minutes or hours, you know, maybe days, mm-hmm. in, in this example we have, the person experiences brilliant enlightenment and sweeping and sweeping reintegration. Not only lasts, but but continues to grow for decades to come. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Is that Carl? No, that's Miller. Okay. Um, He also, Miller also describes it as abrupt, Mm -hmm. enduring change. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, Yeah. And then the last word he uses is discontinuous transformations. Mm -hmm. So let me, let me talk about the different details of that. One of the, the, the thing that's interesting about these experiences he's describing 
is their abruptness mm-hmm. and their lastingness. Yeah. You know, it's not like some kind of weird temporary break or yeah. some kind of flight of fancy. It's like, it's almost like this, a person's life takes a U-turn yeah. and, the, and, and that, that change lasts, yeah. you know? And then the discontinuous transformations part is interesting. Mm. And um, I guess I guess I'll come back to the discontinuous. Di- discontinuous transfer. What does that mean? So, yeah. So this ties into why Miller uses the phrase quantum change. Mm-hmm. And I I only know kind of part of this. It, it has to do with physics, quantum yeah. physics, where um, certain changes that happen in quantum physics are not are not continuous. They're not quantitative mm-hmm. increases. Ah, yeah. They are sudden there's no intervening state so for example so you know if you're a physics person you're listening to this you write me and tell me if this is right you know Uh but um if uh, an electron is moving in uh an the inner orbit around Mm -hmm. the nucleus of an atom Mm -hmm. and then it wants to go to the next orbit out yeah. It's just there all of a sudden. Yeah. It's not like it's at orbit one and then it goes to orbit 1.1, 1. 1. 1.2, 1. 1.3, 1. 1.4, 1. 1.5, yeah. yada, yada, yada. And that, then it's at two. Yeah. It's not like it gradually migrates out. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. it's in the other one. Yeah. Or the or another example might be like spin states, mm-hmm. which I don't understand that well either. But from what I understand, it's like it's like an almost an on-off switch. It's like either in one state or it's in the other state. There's no intervening states that yeah. it, that it uses to switch from one to the other. Yeah. Um, and I guess this um, speaks to kind of the weirdness of these kind of phenomena. <laughs> yeah. Um, well. First, 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 how does this line up with, with Tony's experience? First of all, it's relatively sudden. Mm-hmm. He's in, he's locked up for like three months. Yeah. Um, and the, and it's um, enduring change, yeah. right? Yeah. His reorientation, his, his transformation is lasting, you know, it, it lasts all throughout the rest of the films. Mm-hmm. And in Endgame, yeah. he sacrifices his life yeah. for humanity, which is something he would never have done. Yeah. It's like it's like the crowning manifestation of the way that he's a different person than he was yeah. when the when the films start, right? Yeah. Oh man, I like him so much. Me too. Because and w- Side note, something else I like about him. After the transformation, he doesn't just become a goody-goody. Right. So he's still like a three-dimensional character. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, how, where do I want to go? Um, I wanted to say, with physics, that, that non-continuous change... Yeah. Um... You know, it it is like literal, um, like a literal physical change. But I wonder if, when understanding like this phenomenon of conversion, um, psychologically, um, I don't know how how do I put this? It seems like a gestalt type thing is yeah. happening. Yeah, which gestalt means like, um, uh. A whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. Basically, like if you put a dot on a board and then put another dot next to it, uh, then you just have two dots. And then if you put um, a looped 
uh, like an upside down or like a U shape underneath it. Right. Then all of a sudden, right. it's it's a smiley face. All right. of a sudden, it's more a lot more than just a dot, a dot, and a line. So one simple addition mm-hmm. doesn't just kind of quantitatively change the amount of things that are there it changes the meaning of what's there yeah so that's why it's like for three months he was working he was working on escaping you Mm -hmm. know but um you he that he probably hadn't experienced that characterological change until i feel like the moment when yinsen died Mm. you know and then he walks out of the cave. Ooh, yeah. And there's he walks like out of the cave. a different... Plato metaphor. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Plato, P-L-A-T-O, not like Play-Doh. Yeah, not like a Play-Doh metaphor. When I was younger, I was like, whoa, there's a there was a philosopher named after Play-Doh? Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. No, but when he walks out of the cave, you can, like the cinematography and stuff yeah. and the music, it shows that he's like... A changed, yeah, yeah. It suggests that he's a changed man, and so right. in that in that moment, he could have had a complete, yeah, change that lasted for the rest of his life. Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I want to come back to that. Mm-hmm. So here's here's this quote is attributed to Carl Gustav Jung. Oh, um, he describes these type of things as vital spiritual experiences, mm-hmm. and he says they appear to be in the order of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Isn't mm-hmm. that a good phrase? Yeah. Emotional displacements and rearrangements. Yeah. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding force of the lives of these of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of concepts and motives begin to dominate them. Mm-hmm. Isn't that good? Yeah. Um, I, I guess the thing that I want to hammer home here is, <clears throat> is how weird this is. Mm-hmm. I think maybe we kind of take it for granted or like when we um, watch the film Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of intuitive, like this change he goes through is kind of intuitive because we saw how stupid his old lifestyle was and how kind of ripe it was for some kind of transformation. Yeah. But just how just how weird mm-hmm. it is that in the course of like a day or, or a month or, you know, like a short period of time, a person can basically become an entirely new person. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it's like before, like I have a, I have a friend who was a um, Mormon, uh, re- like conservative. Um, uh, he wanted to be like a historian, mm-hmm. and then over the course of like less than a year, he became a atheist, radical communist. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, just yeah. like almost just like gutting the 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 house uh-huh. of his of his psyche yeah tearing out all the walls you know uh throwing out all the furniture and then just redoing the whole inside yeah you know yeah and and how weird that is because typically we are the same people uh-huh. for our whole lives yeah you know and and we just typically we just change 
by these small additions. Yeah. You know, if we're using the house metaphor, we get a new piece of furniture and yeah. all of a sudden we might be a little, we realize that, oh, we like golf and we didn't know we liked golf before or whatever. Yeah. And it's just these kind of incremental, yeah. incremental changes. Um, that have continuity. That have continuity. Yeah. Right. Um, so... William, J this is William James. Um, he describes this as a change, which though not necessarily instantaneous. So talking about, you know, conversion. Yeah. Seems to be the sub. Uh, seems to the subject of the change to be distinctly different from a process of from just a regular process of growth. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Um. So I was just thinking about like the ways we usually change in our lives, and usually. Maybe it's like an intensification of what's already there, or or even like a gradual shift. Yeah. Um, you know. So, for example, I don't know. I was just thinking of like the analogy of like a flavor or like a stew or something, mm -hmm. where it's like the changes that we usually have is maybe it just gets saltier over time. Yeah. We know people that as they get older, they become kind of a more intensified version of themselves. You know? Yeah, they get salty. They get salty. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like. Um, they become more of a stereotype of themselves or something uh, or, yeah. or, or the water is getting boiled off and they're just, <laughs> they're just the, their flavor, the flavor of them is just there in greater intensity, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but th the other change might be, you know, adding some new flavor kind of gradually, uh -huh. you know, where someone kind of gradually starts to like nature more or yeah. gradually, you know, sure. and, 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 um, so that people you haven't seen since high school, when you see them again, they really might seem like a different person. And yeah. you could talk about that as kind of a form of conversion or transformation, but it just has, it happens gradually in kind of a natural, yeah. natural process yeah. versus someone with this like quantum change or conversion or transformation experience. It's almost like we're throwing out the stew entirely and making a new stew. Yeah. You know, yeah. or, or, or maybe we're, or maybe what we're doing is like, we're making a beef stew. It's like this delicious, their, their psyche is a beef stew. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we fish out all the carrots, mm -hmm. we throw everything else out mm -hmm. and then we make a new stew. That's like a carrot stew. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause there's like pieces of what was there before are still around, but now they have different prominence. They form a different role in the psyche, you uh -huh. know? Right. Anyway, have I captured like have, I'm trying to think if I've convinced people that this is weird. I think uh, it's really weird. Yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's a well, and in uh, in psychology, uh, a lot of times they call stuff like that spontaneous remission. Yeah, which uh, I think highlights how um, the, how uh, like. There's no psychological mechanism that we're aware of that could account for it. That's why they, like, to a lot of addiction researchers and stuff, it's like, well, it just seems like it's spontaneous. Right. Although, I think from a human perspective, these changes make make intuitive sense. Right. Like, and that's why the movie works. Right. Because we're not just like, what? Like... You know, we 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 in a sense go through that change with Tony Stark, and we understand it. And right. so, to us, it's not uh, it's not spontaneous, um, right? But that's because there's something in us that recognizes the reality of 
of this phenomenon. Right. You know, it's it's familiar to us, but it's like if you stop and think about it, it's uh it's there's some mystery to it. And I think grace is a good word because often um there is uh there is some kind of um uh benevolent uh event or or something that uh really touches the person that kind of sparks something like that mm-hmm. so you know you think of Jean Valjean in Les Mis and his character you know he'd uh uh <clears throat> He'd been released from jail, but he was like a kind of a, had a criminal mindset and he went and stole some stuff from uh, this priest who was just trying to help him. Right. And then the priest just like not only doesn't turn him in, but gives him more stuff and, and you know, mm-hmm. makes him kind of a rich guy, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's so touched by that grace that he's changed for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing you could you could say with Tony where he's so touched by Yin Sen's sacrifice mm-hmm. that that sparks it, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. grace. You yeah, know? good. Yeah, cool. I, ha- I have a quote <clears throat> um, that I think could d- demonstrates this thing that you were talking about, how it's a whole, a whole new stew. Yeah, um, it's a whole new stew. Yeah, it's a whole new stew. Um, <clears throat> And it's from the book Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah, which is the foundational text of the Twelve Steps. Yeah, and the Twelve Step approach to addiction recovery is based very, very explicitly on inducing, uh, inducing this kind of a, a change, right? While recognizing the mis- the mystery of it, so not inducing it in this like it is systematic, but you got to you got to admit there's mystery to it, you know. Yeah. Um so here's here's a sh- little short uh, account of um a doctor who witnessed someone uh having this kind of a new completely new stew change. Yeah. Uh an NST an NSC new stew change. Yeah. The doctor says when I need a mental uplift, I often think of a case brought in by a physician prominent in New York. The patient had made his own diagnosis and deciding his situation hopeless, had hidden in a deserted barn determined to die. So this is an alcoholic right. who is determined that he's, he's hopeless. And um, He was rescued by a searching party and in desperate condition brought to me. Following his physical rehabilitation... Uh, He had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought the treatment a waste of effort, unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the, quote, willpower to resist the impulse to drink. His alcoholic problem was so complex and his depression so great that we felt his only hope would be through what we then called, quote, moral psychology, which we now know as the 12 steps. Mm. And we doubted if even that would have any effect. However, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He has not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then, and he is as fine a specimen of manhood as one could wish to meet. Mm. Actually, there's one There's one more that I was thinking of that maybe even describes it better. Uh, 
let's see. Okay, Th this one's also short. Uh, a man was was brought in to me to be treated for chronic alcoholism. He had but partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage and seemed to and seemed uh, and seemed to be in a case let's see seemed to be a case of pathological mental deterioration. He has lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living one might say to drink. He frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no, no permanent brain damage. He accepted the plan outlined in this book, The Twelve Steps. One year later, he called to see me, and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name and partially recognized his features, but there all resemblance ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left me. Mm -hmm. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so just getting to the theme of how weird this is, it's not weird to go to your high school reunion and to see people there and be like, shoot, have you seen, like so-and-so like mm -hmm. they're a whole different person yeah you know than they were before and how interesting that is but it's been like 10 or 15 years you yeah. know like what do you want you know yeah. but it it's different it's like so much weirder yeah to see someone s that you haven't seen for about six months mm -hmm. and they're a whole different person yeah you know yeah um so i have i have some this is i have some points um ab about these quantum changes from some of these texts and let me just read them and we can comment about how well they fit Tony. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. these are ones that I thought fit him. Um, so first, this is what we already talked about. Maybe this is just this element of grace or this sensation that, um, this is something that's welling up inside of you or overtaking you or mm -hmm. something, you know, there's a passivity to these type of experiences, mm -hmm. you know, where yeah. it's just, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, and so we don't have to talk about this. I mean, I think you can see this in Tony. But if, so this is from uh, William Miller. He did 55 interviews with people who claimed to have these types of experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Yeah, few of these people felt that, that these experiences were something they had done to themselves. It hit them from behind. So anyway, mm -hmm. I guess I, we already talked about that. Um, okay, so here's one. This is something that Miller came up that noticed in his interviews, and then William James commented too. Some enduringly benevolent moments of transformation happened in the midst of what would otherwise be judged traumatic or tragic events. Mm -hmm. And then this is what William James says. Emotional occasions, especially violent ones, are extremely potent in precipitating mental rearrangements. Mm. So that fits Tony pretty well. Mm -hmm. What's the nature of the traumatic experiences he's having? Violent. I mean, what? Oh, sorry. I mean, he's in a cave, um, and yeah. he's being, you know, <laughs> he saw a bunch of people die yeah. uh, around him. Yeah. He has a electromagnet in his heart, you uh -huh. know? Yeah. Um, and uh, he's kind of tortured here and there by, uh, you know, they like waterboard him, or they yeah. don't waterboard him, but they're like, you know, 
Um, Which but, I was like, wouldn't his battery zap him? Yeah, anyway. probably. Unrealistic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, seeing his weapons in this new light is traumatic for him. Uh-huh, right. Seeing that the weapons that he made were the ones that killed the people that he was with. Yeah. Um, and also are the... are the weapons that are being used by this terrorist cell, mm. which is horrible and abusive and, you know, violent and all that. Kind yeah. Of stuff. It's a, it's a rock bottom experience where people have been telling him this. Right. So he's been aware that it's a possibility, but he, ha but he's been kind of in denial. Yeah. Now it's like in his face. He's physically and psychologically and spiritually broken down yeah. by this, you know? Yeah. Um, Let's see. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, Williams, no, William Miller, um, describes two, t two kind of common types of these experiences. Mm. One is this kind of myst mystical or epiphany type experience mm. where people describe like classical mystical experience uh, attributes. Mm -hmm. You know, they describe it in these classical mystical experience attributes sometimes even using like sometimes even like seeing lights or or visions or 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 whatever mm -hmm. um having a, a a noetic experience of oneness with the universe or feeling the presence of god or whatever yeah that's one type the second type is um what he calls in insightful uh experiences mm -hmm. these so, quote, these stories lack most of the classical components of mystical experiences, save one, the noetic element of sudden realization or knowing. Mm -hmm. Such insights are distinctively different from the aha insights of ordinary experience. These awakenings break upon the person with great and sudden force, and in the moment of seeing, the person recognizes them for authentic truth, mm. or truth of the capital T. Their effect tends to be a reorganization of one's perceptions of self and reality, usually accompanied by intense emotion and a cathartic, even ecstatic sense of relief and release. So what do you think about those two types and how do you think Tony's experience lines up with that? Well, so let me say this. First of all, he clearly doesn't have any kind of mystical or... or, or well, he, he doesn't have any kind of mystical or spiritual experience. It doesn't seem like he sees the the presence of God in his life or he doesn't see a light or anything like that. Yeah. I will say though, they have this moment. It's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a passing shot. It's mm -hmm. when, um, uh, I think Tony has refused to build their rockets mm -hmm. and they grab him and they start dunking him in water. Mm -hmm. Did you notice mm -hmm. as they're dunking him in water, he has this flash moment where he sees the arc reactor. Mm. in his head mm. a glowing circle of light yeah it like flashes across the screen yeah you know yeah. as he's as he's um as he's doing as he's being tortured you know uh -huh. which is interesting um a glowing which, circle of light which is so interesting i mean i'm really i'm starting to think that um the arc reactor is is almost the i mean it's his it's the symbol yeah. of his new self yeah it's his new heart yeah you know 
it's the it's the higher it's the higher power that energizes him. Yeah, you know, his, from now on, the god of his, which is interesting because the god of his transformation is science, right? <laughs> but also insider intuition because it comes to him in a in a in a flash of revelation right yeah you know as he's well, being done as often science scientific advances do right right so i mean maybe it could even be viewed as um i mean he never uses these terms but kind of it, it's it's a intrusion of the transcendent mm-hmm. you know yeah. into the it's an intrusion of the temporal and uh, the eternal into the temporal you know to uh-huh. use kind of religious language but here here's what i would say is that he doesn't seem to have much of this mystical experience besides this weird revelation he gets about mm-hmm. how to make the arc reactor, which he he then does. It seems to me to be kind of more of an insightful um, change where all of a sudden he sees some new truth. Mm-hmm. Although he never really talks about the content of that very much. We can kind of see it in how he's orienting his life from now on. Yeah. You know, but he never talks about like... I this is what I realized about life, and then I saw that all of my past was just an illusion. All Thank my goodness, past, that would be very tedious dialogue. It'd be very yeah, it'd be kind of too didactic, maybe. Yeah, but I but I think that it makes sense. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think of like what is this? What is the truth mm-hmm. that he um, that he sees? Mm-hmm. You know, that he finds in the cave. It's something like my purpose is to do the most good and i need to use my abilities to do good rather than destruction but also i think there's a repentance aspect to it mm. yeah, or a, a, like a uh making up making up for the destruction that he's done so it's not it's not like what it's more like um uh the only thing that is important that is really important or lasting or of kind of real meaning and significance is is helping others is 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 other people is like real relationships yeah you know what i'm saying yeah and that has a twofold effect one is it sets his course for the future but two it reorients his understanding of what he's been doing from 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 the past. So let me let me give you a quote. Um, uh, okay, this is good. This is from Miller. Mm-hmm. Often characteristics that had been valued least become most important, mm. and those that had ranked as highest priorities fell to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And I think that really is what it is. Yeah. You know, um, it's deep and and meaningful relationships and um charitable giving and you know yeah. like that that type of thing he realizes is really the only thing that matters yeah that really matters in the long term and and so all those other things that he was orienting his life around mm-hmm. fall into the background and then there's the other part that's interesting this is also from miller Quantum changes often seem to lose their tolerance for superficial relationships. They wanted fewer and closer friendships. Hmm. You know? Yeah. Which speaks to after he gets out of the cave, he's no longer as promiscuous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's not trying to sleep with a bunch of women. I'm not, I'm pretty sure that lasts in the rest of the films. I don't think he's 
sleeping around in the rest of the films. And he wants fewer and closer friendships. I think his friendships with um, Potts, Pepper Potts, mm-hmm. but also with um, um, Rhodey, you know. Who? Um, the military guy? Yeah. Yeah. Who is played by Don Cheadle in the rest of the films, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's right. They recast him. Mm-hmm. Which this guy, the guy was great, but man, Don Cheadle, you know, yeah, <laughs> you can't go wrong with Don Cheadle, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think that relationship becomes less exploitative and and closer, and you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like they're like broy, but it's almost it's a very selfish relationship mm-hmm. between him and and Rhodes, you right. know, at the beginning of the film, and he starts to really care about him more. I feel like, you know, yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Um, let's see what else. Let me let me let me give you Zed. Um, how's that? How's all that so far? Good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, let me give you some William James. William James. So so now we're getting kind of into William James offers a couple kind of explanations for what might be going on mm-hmm. that are very kind of metaphorical, but maybe capture the phenomena in an interesting way. Uh-huh. And so let me see what you think about this. So first of all, he uses this analogy of hot and cold mm-hmm. that some things in our psyche are very hot and some things are cold, you know. Mm-hmm. For me, um, eating chicken sandwiches is very hot. Uh-huh. It's something I like. I want to do it, uh-huh. you yeah. know. Um, teaching a class is a very hot thing, yeah. you know. I'm attracted to it. I, it energizes me. It fills me up, you know. Yeah. Um, and other things are cold, you know. Um, salads. Uh-huh. I mean, I like some salads are good. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know. Other stuff. Watching American football. Watching American football is like is like lukewarm for me. Uh-huh. I can watch it sometimes. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so. Uh, so he talks about. He says. Let us hereafter, in speaking of the hot place in a man's consciousness, the group of ideas which he devote to which he devotes himself and from which he works, we'll call it the habitual center of his personal energy. Mm-hmm. Great. Really catchy phrase. Nice. Habitual center of his personal energy. The, yeah. the HCPE. Yeah. Um, to say that a man is, scare quotes, converted, and scare quotes, uh-huh. uh, means in these terms that religious ideas, so William James is talking about religious conversions in here, mm-hmm. um, previously peripheral in his consciousness now take a central place, and that religious aims form the habitual center of his personal energy. Um, And then he says, this is kind of mysterious, but all we know is that there are dead feelings, dead ideas, and cold beliefs, and there are hot and live ones. When one grows hot and alive within us, everything has to recrystallize about it. Mm -hmm. So I like that image so i like that image first of all of describing it as hot and cold mm-hmm. obviously it's metaphorical language because they actually don't have temperature mm-hmm. but it captures something that like some ideas or goals or objects just feel powerful and alive yeah. and they give us they they give us juices and energy you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. other ones just don't move us mm-hmm. you know yeah. and it, how interesting it is how that can just shift, you know, whereas before the idea of kind of charitable giving and close relationships and self-sacrifice to Tony, were just like totally dead and cold. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. after he gets out of the cave, they're alive and they're warm and they're hot and they're yeah. the things that energize him and and motivate him, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then I also really like the idea, the image of something becoming something becoming hot and alive and everything having to recrystallize around it. Yeah. Recrystallizing is just a cool Yeah. It's just a cool um analogy. It reminds me of uh inception. In inception mm-hmm. when they get, you know, what is it, three or four levels deep into that guy's psyche mm-hmm. and all they do is they implant one new idea. Yeah, yeah. Which is the idea that his dad accepts him. Yeah. And his dad wants him to be his own man. Yeah. Yeah. And his it has this cascading effect outwards. Yeah. Where I mean hypothetically, we don't see how this guy changes, but that's the that's what the film implies. Yeah. That this new center has this cascading effect outwards and everything recrystallizes around it in the same way that leonardo dicaprio's wife when he incepted her Mm -hmm. and told her you are dreaming Mm -hmm. this is a dream you know that thought became the new center of her psyche and everything recrystallized right in a pathological and sad and bad way yeah um man inception are we doing that no but we should yeah um the that i that image that was cool um you know it really it really makes me think about like ice crystals mm-hmm. and how if you put a new molecule or or a new you know ice crystals form around usually a piece of dust yeah you know that's yeah. kind of suspended in the air mm-hmm. and how if you put a different little piece of dust in there the crystal would have to form in a different way mhm because it has a different seed. Yeah. It has a different center, you know? And so the, the shape of the crystal moving outwards would have to would have to change. So I have this image in my mind of like this change happening almost like a kaleidoscope, how a kaleidoscope, the whole figure changes all at once, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Um, a, a, a crystal all of a sudden having a new center and needing to kind of dramatically rearrange itself. Yeah. It's just, it's a cool image. Yeah. And I think it fits with Tony, you know, mm-hmm. that he has a new, he has a new center, a new, a new seed that he has to recrystallize around. Yeah. And here's another one. This, this is maybe more, this is maybe a bit more of an explanation. So William James talks in a previous chapter in the book, he talks about um, what he calls the divided self, mm-hmm. which is people who are kind of almost are torn their psyches are almost split in a certain way mm-hmm. which you can see in a person like an addict who simultaneously the only thing they want in the entire world is to stop drinking mm-hmm. but at the same time the only thing they want in the entire world is to drink all the yeah. time you know yeah um or a person i think he points to like thomas Aquin- aquinas mm-hmm. um who at least earlier in his life felt very much called to kind of a life of Christian piety, but at the same time really felt very sinful and wanted to sin a lot, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, can, you, can you kind of picture that, like the, yeah. the divided self? And he says, this is kind of, William James says, this is an, uh, you could describe it as an unstable equilibrium. Yeah. And eventually something comes along and just tips the whole thing over. Uh-huh. And everything has to kind of re- settle and reorient itself around the new equilibrium yeah and so he describes this in an interesting way um he says a a mind is a system of ideas each with excitement it arouses 
each idea has an excitement it arouses, and with tendencies impulsive and inhibitive which mutually check or reinforce one another. Their collection of ideas alters, so kind of the whole, mm-hmm. by subtraction or by addition in the course of experience, and the tendencies alter as the organism gets more aged. So this is describing, you know, like belief systems and kind of your psyche as this web or almost like a building, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of has a structure that that holds itself up and each part is leaning in on the other parts and connected to the other parts. Mm -hmm. Um, A mental system may be undermined or weakened by this interstitial alteration just as a building is. Mm -hmm. And yet for a time, keep upright by dead habit. Mm-hmm. But a new perception, a sudden emotional shock, or an occasion which lays bare the organic alteration will make the whole fabric fall together. And then the new center of gravity sinks into an attitude more stable. For the new ideas that reach the center in the rearrangement seem now to be locked there, and the new structure remains permanent. Yeah. So I, I just like that because Tony, it, it just describes the way in which Tony has this attitude of like, you know, I'm a big, powerful CEO and I'm just making money and we're, I'm, you know, when there's no war, then I'll stop doing this, you know, mm-hmm. like all these justifications for his lifestyle. Yeah. And it's almost like they start to get gnawed away from the inside by like termites. Right. You know, and maybe it starts with the reporter confronting him yeah. and she kind of plants a seed, yeah. you know, about how he's the what is it merchant of death or whatever the mm-hmm. people are calling him you know yeah. and then that um that kind of doubt mm-hmm. kind of festers in him although it, they don't show this at this part in the film but you know he's but he's still going about his business and he's you know sleeping around and giving weapons demonstrations and all this kind of stuff and then <clears throat> By the time he's locked in the cave, you know, it really, his belief system really starts to become unstable. Uh And then just something happens that like flips, that like knocks the whole thing over. Yeah. That's just one way of like describing the phenomena. Yeah. I I mean, we don't have a lot to go on in the text. Right. But I think it's uh, plausible. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, it's descriptive in an interesting way of how these type of transformations kind of need to incubate or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I also like the idea of um, a system of beliefs or even a lifestyle kind of remaining just by dead habit. Yeah. um, Even though they're kind of being hollowed out at the center. Yeah. And then all of a sudden something happens and you realize that like, wait a second, like, I don't believe any of this religious stuff that I've been living for the past 10 years. Yeah. I just don't believe it. Yeah. And I haven't believed it for a while, but I've st- I just didn't know that I didn't believe it. Right. You know? So it can go, it's not necessarily always, it doesn't always lead to religion. It could lead away from religion. Right. Or yeah. it could lead away from <laughs> golf or it could lead away from mm-hmm. whatever. You know, yeah. it's like these transformations, I feel like they can go in a bunch of different directions. Right. You know? Yeah. Um. So anyway. Yeah. I like the idea, yeah, of Tony um, 
his all his all of his explanations for why he does what he does are starting to kind of fall apart. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, and his and his excuse that he's not really hurting people and his weapons are being used for good and all that kind of stuff yeah. is kind of slowly being eaten away. You know? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> How's that? Dang, man, that's good. Like I'm just I'm just sitting here listening to you share this stuff and it's making me get all uh, <clears throat> contemplative. Yeah. About like what are the um, guiding uh, values of my life? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mine's probably power. Uh-huh. Yeah, mine's probably like, um, yeah, prestige. Yeah. Pretty good. Know. Yeah. Pretty yeah. good. Um, so I have, I have, okay, I have three more things. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah, give it to <laughs> These me. These are shorties. These are shorties, but goodies. Dude, you're preaching wisdom. These are shorties but goodies. Mm-hmm. First, um, so this comes courtesy of my professor, Dr. Diana Tice, Brigham uh-huh. Young University Psychology Department, uh-huh. married to the great uh, 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 Roy Baumeister, social psychologist extraordinaire, Ooh. who I kind of didn't realize how big of a deal he is. He's kind of a really big deal. Yeah. He's quoted a lot. Did you know his name? No, no. Well, you don't know much about it. I'm not a lo- I'm not a big social psych guy. Yeah. Anyway, um, but she's a co-author on a lot of his books, and they work together and stuff. Uh-huh. She's she's sharp as a tack. Yeah. And kind as a kind as a saint. Kind as a saint. Mm-hmm. She gave a presentation for us in class, just a, a little demonstration of something she does with undergrads about um, uh, brainwashing mm-hmm. and. I, I'm giving this secondhand because I couldn't find the source that she referenced. Yeah. But it was fascinating. I actually emailed her, but she hasn't gotten back to me. Um, there was a guy, I think he was um, captured in the Korean War or something. And um, he was captured and tortured and they tried to brainwash him and all this stuff. And anyway, after the fact... He wrote this book about the phenomenon of brainwashing, and he talked about kind of the steps that brainwashers use. Mm-hmm. And brainwashing really seems like a weaponization yeah. of this process of transformation. Yeah. So he broke it down into the steps, and I don't remember all the steps, but the first one was breaking down a person's sense of self. Mm-hmm. Breaking down their sense of who they are and why they're doing what they're doing and, Hmm. you know, um, challenging and trying to destroy Mm -hmm. their self rationale, you know? So when you're captured, it's like you are, you know, we're just trying to, you know, help the Koreans to Mm -hmm. not get captured. That's your reason, you know, to, to not get taken over by the Chinese and the, and the communists. And that's our reasoning. And we're just trying to help the people or whatever. And then they, they slowly try and undermine that. No, you're not. Uh-huh. You got, you're a monster. You right. people are just murderers and, uh-huh. and all that kind of stuff. And you try and tear down yeah. their sense until they really finally like, man, we are monsters. I am a monster. Yeah. So you, cr- you kind of artificially create this crisis mm-hmm. and then you offer um, the ideology mm-hmm. that you're trying to brainwash into as a redemptive 
answer to their crisis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know? Uh, uh-huh. That, like, the 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 North Koreans, you know, or the the cause of the people as manifested in communism mm-hmm. is the is the is how you can atone for this wickedness you've done, or mm-hmm. the cult is the answer to the you know to to your um, uh, deadness and sadness and yeah. and wickedness, or you know <laughs> the teachings of you know so and so are the answer, mm-hmm. um, and when it's done right you know you're artificially creating this type of thing Uh which i thought when i saw that i actually thought of tony stark Uh and i actually thought of conversion that that brainwashing would be like it's like a weaponized version of yeah so anyway so that's one that's my first um connection Uh does that make sense yeah second one is uh thomas kuhn do you Mm -hmm. know thomas kuhn yeah, he wrote um, the structure of scientific revolution. Structure of scientific revolutions. Yeah, so he's a f- he's a historian of science, but he wound up writing this book, which was a big text in the philosophy of science. Mm-hmm. Big important book about the philosophy of science. Yeah, and so he says that science progresses not so much in this incremental fashion. Yeah, but it progresses through a series of crises and revolutions, where yeah. it's like it's going well for a while, but it 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 establishes a paradigm mm-hmm. which is like a a way of doing research and a way of conceptualizing the problems of the field yeah and it's going well for a while in that paradigm mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden it doesn't account for the data as well as it used to and we're seeing all these problems and then there's this like state of scientific crisis where like we just don't even know what the what to think of the of the paradigm we were using and we kind of don't even know how to think about the thing we were studying. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, there's a a new paradigm presents itself usually through the research of some genius. Mm -hmm. And then the whole field or big portions of the field jump ship from the old paradigm to the new paradigm. Right. And it's this qualitative change in how what's being studied is being studied. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting that he thinks science progresses in that way. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe humans progress in that way sometimes. Yeah. You know? Right. And, yeah. Rather than add- additively. Right. Yeah. Which we sometimes think. But I mean, William James seems to claims in the book that this is pretty common. Yeah. It happens pretty commonly. Yeah. And it happens especially commonly uh-huh. in certain c- religious communities. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot of, like, for example, evangelical religious communities, people um, report having these experiences all the time. And maybe yeah. it's partly because the religious community um, incites these experiences or sets them up. Yeah. You know, by kind of creating a sense of guilt in people as they're growing up and, yeah. and they realize they can't really keep the they oh man, I want to be such a good Christian boy, but I can't keep the commandments and I'm yeah. such a bad person. And then all of a sudden they are open to the message of salvific grace or you something. Know, you know, I, I said before that these kinds of ex- uh transformations can't be induced. Hmm. But like um Maybe a, I don't know, maybe a better way of saying it is like, so the conditions can be, can be cultivated for a kind of change like this. Right. But then I think what I mean is like, there always has to be a, a leap. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's why. Yeah. I, good. Yeah. Good. So my last, my last, <laughs> um, last connection I made was Kierkegaard. Yeah. You know, Soren Kierkegaard. Yeah. That's um, what I was thinking. About. A lot of people say he's kind of a, 
proto-existentialist philosopher or like like a lot of his philosophy is kind of proto-existentialist mm-hmm. um which maybe is probably to say he's touching on the same themes as yeah. a lot of existentialist philosophers but another thing is that a lot of existentialist philosophers read Kierkegaard you know yeah but he talks about how people progress through life through these series of changes where they have to make leaps from kind of one way of being to another yeah you know yeah um and they're these these leaps um you know are leaps of faith it's not they're kind of just jumping into a whole new way of being, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, that you can't Here, Here's another part of it for Kierkegaard. You're not, you're not reasoning yourself from one, from one state to another. Mm-hmm. It's not your reason that gets you from one state to another because your reasoning only works within kind of the rules of the paradigm that you're already in mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. kind of like you can't use the rules of basketball to decide to play baseball mm-hmm. you can use the rules of basketball to figure out what to do when you're playing basketball right but the rules won't get you into a different activity yeah. you know you just have to kind of make this leap yeah you know into it anyway yeah that was my last connection yeah i like so it. he's taking a leap he's leaping into a new way of being he's i was thinking about kierkegaard earlier too because i'm smart too you're so smart (laughs) i think the thing so i think the thing that came out as we were talking that i hadn't thought of before yeah first was was the symbolic significance of the arc reactor yeah um dude that's cool as kind of the moment of kind of his change maybe is when he's being dunked in water yeah and then has this this flash of insight flash of brilliance with the arc reactor yeah and it 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 kind of represents this new heart that he has or or something you uh-huh. know? Yeah. which is interesting and and now this makes me want to do um a different this makes me want to do an episode i thought like well maybe we can only do one episode on iron man because his character is pretty much the same throughout the rest of the film. No, films. there's more. There, but now I think there's more, and especially yeah. in, I think it's the third film, mm-hmm. where Pepper Potts points out mm-hmm. that he still is wearing the arc reactor in his chest mm-hmm. to keep the uh, shrapnel from going into his heart. Yeah. But really, he could he could go under the knife and have surgeons remove yeah. the shrapnel, but for some reason, he doesn't want to. <gasps> it's a thorn in his side. It's a thorn in his chest. Yeah. It's a thorn in the heart. Like, meaning, and, and now I'm thinking about, like, what does that mean? Meaning, you know, like, what, from Paul, it's a reminder of his weakness. Yeah, but it's something that he needs to transcend. Having the arc reactor in his chest is still something that he's holding on to or something that he needs to transcend. Uh-huh. You know, I don't know. Um, I think it's a necessary reminder of his weakness to hold on yeah, to but why does his he, transformation. Yeah, but why does he need to remove it? Uh-huh. Why is the next evolution in his character that he needs to have it, he needs to surrender to the surgeons and, and finally have it, have it removed and have the shrapnel removed from him. You yeah, know? yeah. It's something. It's something that's holding back his his psychological integration. Yeah, it's something that's holding. It's holding something that's holding him back from further and more complete psychological um, health and wellness and integration. Uh huh. Boom shakalaka. Yeah. Woo. Okay, internet.
We just talked about it. But what do you think about it? Did we cover? Did we capture it all? Is there something in the film that we missed that kind of speaks to um, Tony Stark's transformation? Or is there a source that maybe we could have referenced that you guys know about that we didn't know about? Yeah. Send us some nerd stuff. Send us your nerd stuff. Also, let us know what other films, uh, books, uh, comic books, Uh albums, Uh paintings. Other pop culture things. Yeah. Um, plays. Yeah, you want us to cover. Yeah, and you can send that to. You can tweet at us at. Uh, let's see, at Pop Psych Pod. Uh huh. We're on. We're on. In. We're on email. Yeah. Uh, Pop Psych Pod yeah. at Gmail dot com. Yeah. And we're on Facebook. Pop Psych. Uh, Pop Psychology Podcast mm-hmm. on Facebook. Let us know. Also, rate and review us on iTunes. And when you do so, maybe we'll read your rating or review. Oh. Also, share and that us. that would warm our heart. Share us far and wide yeah. with, throughout the whole land. Um, okay, that's it. Anything right. else? No, I think we love that's you. it. Yeah, this is... I've been transformed by this uh, discussion. Nerd alert. <laughs> All right. See you guys next week. Okay. Love you. 